Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. The 2023 season has come and gone for the New York Jets. We will watch on and watch the rest of the playoffs unfold and then look forward towards the free agency, drafts, training camps, and another season coming next year where hopefully we can finish ahead of seven wins. With Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, some other new guys in the mix, some rookies, a lot of excitement to come. But we got to get down to business and put a bow on this season as it comes to a close. This podcast's agenda is going to be to break down the Jets' finish, including the year-end wrap-ups and evaluations of basically all of the players broken down into offense, defense, and special teams, as we always do. Then we're going to talk a little coaching, give out the season-end awards, what's on tap, and then 2023 season is history. Put it in the books and move on. I said, uh, you know, I'm going to take a break after this podcast, as I always do. I'm going to move to the off-season schedule. During the regular season, we were doing a podcast every single week following the uh, Jets games, doing a review and then a preview episode of what was upcoming, putting those out on basically Tuesdays. I know I missed a couple down the stretch as I usually do, but uh, we didn't miss too much in those ones. Moving forward, it's going to be the offseason schedule of a free agency primer will be the next one that we do um, after this. That's going to be prior to the March 11th legal tampering period, right before free agency. So sometime before that, look out for it. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan to get some updates on that when I figure out when it's going to be coming out. Then a couple weeks after that free agency period begins, we're going to do a free agency review to talk about who we've gotten so far, what kind of money we have left. Then we're going to do a draft preview prior to the April 25th draft. Then we're going to do a draft review after that. Sometime in May, the schedule is going to come out. We're going to do a schedule review, talk about the games that we have and if there's anything interesting. Then it comes down to like waiting for training camps, doing a training camp preview, position battles. Then preseason games come. And basically during preseason, I do two. Um, I do one after like the first game or two, breaking down the first game or two. And then I do one after the 53-man rosters come out. And then we start back to every single week after Tuesday. It's a, a long road to get there. It's January 11th right now. The Jets won't play football again, real football, until September. So a long ways away. But the NFL does a really, really good job of keeping fans engaged throughout the offseason, doing that, you know, March is free agency, April is the draft, May is the schedule, June starts training camps and rookie mini camps and stuff. And you got preseason in August. There's not a ton of dead period. Maybe like July is probably the worst, but overall we're going to make it. It's tough to think about right now. It's a dark hole that we're in. I am very, very glad that we beat the Patriots, that we got that big win. We got Bill Belichick fired. We watched all that happened, watched his press conference and everything. Oh my gosh, we did all that. And that is a good way to end this season and gives me a lot more optimism. I think that I'd be in a much more depressing state had the Jets lost that game, keep that streak alive. Maybe Bill Belichick in that scenario doesn't even get fired. I don't know, but I'm feeling like down about myself. Like, what the heck? Or maybe Belichick retires, and I'm still sad. Like, man, we couldn't beat him. One last chance to get that record broken. He leaves with it. But because all that's done and that monkey's off the back, I don't know. Seven wins has never felt so good, honestly. We, uh, we have a lot to get to in this podcast, a lot of players, a lot of performances. I'm going to try to move through it because I don't want to be doing this for a whole hour. 
which sometimes I do. Maybe that's what'll happen. But we'll try to get through it as best we can, touching on every single player, basically. Before I start, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's part of the Fans First Sports Network. And guys, I really do appreciate and see every single rating and review you guys leave. It's a big uh, big feather in the cap for me. The time that I put in not only doing these podcasts, but putting up with this New York Jets team week after week, including in the offseason, which I will be doing, tracking the stuff so that I can give you guys good content, good podcasts, so that I'm always prepared to talk about it. Um, engage with me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. DM me anytime in the offseason you want to talk about who we should get, things we're making, guys that you like, things that you think I should be talking about, whatever. I love it. love talking Jets, especially in the offseason when it's hard to come by some good content. But let's get into this thing. Let's just start up real quick, put a bow in the Jets' finish. We finished 7-10. and 10. That's third in the AFC East. We tied last record's last year's record at 7-10. and 10. It's the best record we've had since 2015. Yikes. That was the year that Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall, and Eric Decker almost got the Jets to the playoffs, but then lost the final week of the season to not make it. That year, we finished with 10 wins. Since then, 7 wins this year, last year, and another time in the middle. It's the best record we've had recently. So we got to get to 8 wins, 9 wins, 10 wins. we got to get back into the playoffs, right? A lot of good stuff coming for the Jets. The only good thing that comes with finishing with a bad record is finishing with a high draft pick. If you like that sort of thing, and positioning in the draft really means a lot to you. You really got your eye on a specific player, or you really want to be ahead of a specific team. The Jets finished 10th in the uh, draft positionings. We'll be drafting 10th. That's the position that we drafted Garrett Wilson at. So some positivity from that position. That's the type of player that you can get there. We should feel really good about that going into the draft because we just had success drafting at 10. A lot of teams have had success drafting 10. Anywhere, really. It's a crapshoot. But... Find the guy you like. Get him on the team. Give them good opportunities. Let them shine. That's the Jets' finish. Quickly just going over coaching. I'm pleased with Robert Sala. I think he was dealt a shit hand. I think that if we had a lot of different stuff transpire, honestly, just like competent quarterback play that is not his fault, and healthy offensive line players, which, again, is nothing he can control, I think the Jets would have had a really good season. I think he would have been in the running for coach of the year. I think people would really appreciate and respect him and everything that he does. I love the fact that he can do press conferences. And even though you're sitting there saying, I wish he showed more emotion or I wish he gave us more straight answers. I love that. He looks at that New York media. He looks at Rosenblatt and Hughes and Samini and doesn't give him shit. And they try to find headlines and they try to rile him up and get something good out of him. And he says like, listen, we shot ourselves in the foot. This team has a lot of good young guys. It's the same thing every game, but I'd rather hear that then hear him like, you want to hear what I really think and have him go off because that media is ruthless. And Robert Sala's done a really good job staying positive without seeming completely out of touch with the team. Love what he does there. I also I realized it like, I don't know, maybe like week 15, 16. You don't think about this stuff. Robert Sala uses timeouts exactly the way that I would. And like when I'm sitting there on the couch going, oh, timeout, timeout here, timeout here. He takes them. And when I say like, oh, they should save the timeout or spike the ball. He does that stuff every single time. When I think we should go for it on fourth down, he pretty much does that. When I think we should kick the field goal, whatever, I'm like lockstep with the decisions he makes. And that's something you don't really notice unless you hate what the coach is doing. And we had Todd Bowles for a long time, and he was really bad situationally in-game. Never used his timeouts properly. Never knew when to call him. Didn't know how many he had, it felt like. Would go for it in weird situations, and you're just like, what the heck is he doing in-game? And that's a big part of coaching. 
And whether or not it led to the Jets winning a lot of games this year, knowing that he can do it well and is smart and quick and on top of that stuff will be very, very important when we are in the playoffs or have a big game. He's not one of those coaches like an Anthony Lynn or Brandon Staley in, in San Diego or Los Angeles who does horrible coaching and loses the game for their team. I'm confident that he will do the right thing in the right moment. So I love that for Robert Sala. Pleased to have him as our head coach, a leader of men. And when the days are better, he's going to look a lot better. We're going to be glad we have him. If you look at the offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, you can't judge him because he's not a true offensive coordinator. He's not that good, but he is a brain trust with Aaron Rodgers, who is the solution for 2024. If things go well for the Jets, it's because Aaron Rodgers is playing well, most likely. And if Aaron Rodgers is going to play well, he needs to have a really good brain trust with him, and Nathaniel Hackett is that guy. So you're betting on that. But you take Aaron Rodgers out of the picture, and you keep Hackett with some of the worst quarterbacks in the league, Tim Boyle looking at you, you don't have a great opportunity there. Put together a really bad offensive line in front of him, it's going to be even worse. So Nathaniel Hackett, hard to judge. He's not going to be the guy when Aaron Rodgers is gone, but he's going to be the guy while Aaron Rodgers is here, and we're going to judge him when that's happening. Defensive side of the ball, Albrecht. Jets had the third best defense in the league. Love Ulbrich. Everything he does, fantastic defensive coordinator. And he will eventually at least get opportunities to interview for head coaching jobs. Special teams, as always, Brant Boyer rocked it. It was tough having a rookie kick returner in Xavier Gibson and then giving, you know, a couple opportunities to Izzy Abanaconda, another rookie, because rookies make rookie mistakes, as I always say. A couple fumbles, a couple muffed punts. Didn't love to see that from that side. But when you look at the kickers, Kicker Greg Zerline kicked the best of his career, 92%. Fantastic. Thomas Morstead, some of the best punting he's ever done in a very long, illustrious career. Love what he did. Brant Boyer always knows how to get a lot out of his special teams unit. And that's the reason that he's been able to stay through all these different coaching staffs we've had. He's remained a constant because he does a great job. So good coaching there overall. I want to talk about the offense and the players that we have here. I mean, you start with the passing game. The passing game was so lackluster, it's not even funny. The offensive line was a mess. We were sacked so many freaking times. The Jets were sacked 64 times this year for 454 yards lost. That is so many times sacked. Some of that is on the quarterbacks because they don't know how to move in the pocket. A lot of that is on the offensive line because they can't block worth shit. We were playing 13 or 14 different line combinations. I'll talk about the line in a little bit, but the quarterbacks were kind of at a shitty spot all season long. But that aside, they all played badly anyway. Zach Wilson probably played the best. He had the best quarterback rating. He had the most yardage and was the most effective and and successful, I guess, at, at least throwing the football and running. But we know what we got from him. He didn't do well. He started 11 games. He went four for seven on the season. 60% completion percentage is an improvement for him. 2,200 yards. I'm looking for the Jets' first 4,000-yard receiver since Joe Namath. I can't get it. 2,271 yards from Zach Wilson. Eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. He ran a little bit, but he was sacked 46 times. His quarterback rating was 77. We know what we got from the passing game. Zach Wilson is not the answer. We're going to move on to other backup quarterbacks to be behind Aaron Rodgers. Zach Wilson has a guaranteed contract. Maybe he sticks around. Maybe he gets traded. Maybe eat half the contract and give him somewhere else. That'll be on the free agency primer probably. But uh, tough season for Zach Wilson. He was supposed to sit behind Rodgers for a year, learn, and grow. He didn't have that opportunity. Thrown into the fire at age 24 behind a bad offensive line. 
Pretty bad receivers overall. Just a bad passing situation. You want to talk about how bad it was? Give someone else a chance. All right, let's throw Tim Boyle out there for two starts. Two losses. The guy throws 62%, one touchdown, four interceptions, totally useless, quarterback rating of 56. Ugh, get him off the field. Get him off the team. Let's put in Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon started three games. He won two of those three. So when you look at, like, the record, Simeon was solid. But 56% completion percentage, two touchdowns, four interceptions, doesn't really run the ball, quarterback rating of 62. Nothing good from him either. We had a total of 3,373 passing yards this season in a 17-game season. That's a horrible number. It's actually funny because... As bad as that number is, you're like, oh my God, what a horrible passing offense we had all year. Opponents had 3,100 yards against us. Much better quarterbacks. We played a really nice slate of quarterbacks, and they finished with less passing yards than Tim Boyle, Trevor Simeon, and Zach Wilson. That's crazy. Really, really good job by the Jets defense. We'll talk about that stuff a little bit later. But the passing game, it wasn't good. And when you have a bad passing game, you don't have a very good receiving game either. You look at the wide receivers in the Jets, Garrett Wilson... He had a great season again. He passed 1,000 yards. He finished with 95 receptions. I think that if he didn't get injured and it wasn't in the snow, he would have gotten 100 receptions. He would have been the second Jet in NFL or in Jets history to have 100 receptions. The only other Jet to have 100 receptions in the season is Brandon Marshall in 2015. Nothing from Coles, Cotchery, Maynard, Sauer, Krebet, Keyshawn Johnson. Like, it's just crazy to me. Al Toon, when you go through the names that we had, we didn't have ever a prolific prolific passing offense since Joe Namath. But the fact that we couldn't find a guy to get 100 receptions other than Brandon Marshall with Ryan Fitzpatrick blows my mind. This season that we had here, one really good receiver in Garrett Wilson had 95. He's basically right there with Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon throwing to him. It's not like it was some outlandish season from him. It was like just pretty darn good for a young player. It's wild, but he finishes short of that. He had uh, 1,050 yards or so. He's the first Jet in Jets history to have 1,000 yards receiving in his first two seasons. So he's on his way to being the best Jets receiver of all time. Don Maynard obviously has a class of his own because he was able to win Super Bowls and everything. But when you look at the numbers he had, it was like a couple big catches a game. The Jets would just grind the ball, run it out, and then hit Don Maynard for a 40, 50-yard touchdown here and there. Him and Namath had a really good repertoire. 14 game seasons back then, a lot of things were different. But Garrett Wilson, if you take Don Maynard out of the equation, I think Garrett Wilson has a strong case to be the best receiver we've had on the Jets, at least for like a long period of time. As long as we can keep him happy and retain him, he's going to have a great career. The rest of the receivers were terrible. Alan Lazard had the next most receiving yards, and Alan Lazard was a guy that I kind of remember playing in the first five, six weeks, and then nothing after that. It was his worst receiving season since his rookie season of 2018. He finished with 23 receptions, 311 yards, one touchdown, over 8% drop percentage, a bad season, some bad penalties. He got the can. I mean, he's still part of the team. He's going to be under contract for a few more years, but he was healthy scratches for the last few weeks. They're playing guys like Xavier Gibson, Jason Brownlee, Randall Cobb, instead of Alan Lazard, who's making $10 million a year. It's crazy. He's got to have a better year next year. But that was literally the number two receiver on the team. Number three receiver, rookie Xavier Gibson. 21 receptions, 229 yards, no touchdowns. 
He did run the ball eight times, 68 yards there and a touchdown. So he was like kind of a gadget player. He was able to get a little bit of productivity. But again, nothing was going around in the passing game. Xavier Gibson will be a pretty good three or four guy, one of those like role player, shifty guys that can come in and do something special. We've got guys like, you know, Khalil Shakir on the Bills. There's players like this all over the league that are just there to do a small thing. Braxton Berrios used to be it for us. To get a guy like that, Xavier Gibson, I like it. I just don't want him to be receiver two. I also don't want receiver two to be Jason Brownlee, who played seven games this year, five catches, 56 yards, a touchdown. The touchdown was cool when he got that, but Jason Brownlee was so slow in and out of his breaks. He wasn't able to get open. Did not have a very impressive rookie year. Didn't do anything on special teams either. Randall Cobb was brought here to help install the Aaron Rodgers offense and be not only a sounding board for him, but also like a reliable weapon. He finished with five receptions, 39 yards, and one touchdown. And that was our receiving game. And I'm thinking about it now, and I'm looking at those guys, Wilson, Lazard, Gibson, Brownlee, Randall Cobb, as our wide receivers. And as embarrassing and bad as that is, there have been so many Jet seasons in the past, like, 15 years where the receiving cast was so much more embarrassing than that with guys like, I'm trying to think, Clyde Gates and Chad Schillens and David Nelson as, like, top guys in the receiving room. So when you look at this, it's bad, but eh, I guess it could be worse. Garrett Wilson is elite. Everybody else, you know, we got to figure it out. Tight ends. Tyler Conklin was the best Second, he was the best tight end and the second best weapon that we have. It was Garrett Wilson was the best receiving weapon. Conklin was well ahead of Lazard as the second best receiving weapon. He tied his career high in receptions of 61. He had the most receiving yards of his career of 621. The big bummer in this one is he had no touchdowns. But the guy ran hard all year, put his shoulder in. A true barbarian, not only by look of his face, but look in the way he runs. I love having that guy. And when we have a good quarterback that can find him, He's going to be dangerous, a really good tight end that people are going to start to really respect around the league. Jeremy Ruckert, last year's rookie, he only had eight yards last season. This year, 16 catches, 151 yards, so much better than his rookie season. He missed a couple games due to injury. He started the season as tight end three behind C.J. Uzoma. I think Rucker had some really nice catches and some really nice plays this year that proved to you that he can at least be tight end two, moving forward behind Conklin, and be fighting for an opportunity to be that tight end one for the Jets in the future. He looks like not a slam dunk draft pick, but a very, very solid use of a third-round pick and a guy that should be here for years to come. Love Rucker. Hope he's healthy for next season. Want to see him and Conklin with a good quarterback, see what they can do. Uzoma, he's useless. He's going to be gone. Get rid of that contract. Eight catches, 58 yards. He had a touchdown. He dropped an easy touchdown in the season as well. He was a guy that I was excited to get because he's like a leader and a fun guy that people like to have around, fun in interviews, people like to hang out with him and stuff. So all good there. But in terms of the skill set that we saw from him, he was a bad player. His play, you know, he's age 30 plus, and uh, he wasn't worth the money that we gave him. He's going to be gone very soon. Kenny Yaboa, two catches, 28 yards. That guy's been hanging on by a thread. Doesn't bring a ton to this team. Some decent special teams. Can't block really. Doesn't get open receiving that that much. We'll see how much longer he's on the Jets team. So that's the receiving game. Obviously, goes hand-in-hand with the quarterback play. Kind of a nightmare outside of Garrett Wilson and Tyler Conklin. You want to talk about guys that did have some success catching the football? you got to go to the running back position when you look outside of Conklin 
and Wilson. Brees Hall is an absolute superstar. He finished the season with 994 rushing yards, so six yards short of 1,000 yards, which at the time going into the Patriots game, I wasn't really even considering. I wasn't like, well, maybe he'll get 184 rushing yards this game. That would be absurd to even have a piece of expectation like that. Maybe scrimmage yards 180, but not just rushing yards. But then he finishes six yards short of 1,000. Would have been great to get him there. But 4.5 yards per attempt this year, five touchdowns on the ground, Catching the ball, 76 receptions. The second most receptions on the team, 591 yards. So the third most uh, yardage on the team for receiving. And then four touchdowns caught. Fantastic. Nine total touchdowns, 1,585 total scrimmage yards. And if there was any question whether or not he'd be able to come back from that injury that he had this season, play at a high level again, he started the year pretty strong. A little bit of a lull in the middle of the season. Ended the year extremely strong. The final game of the year, we said just let's give it to him basically every single play. And he won the game for us in one of the most fun, satisfying Jets wins in many years. So Brees Hall, an absolute star. Dalvin Cook, he was supposed to be running back too. That was a failed experiment. He's actually on the Ravens now as the Jets released him. He had 214 yards on 3.2 yards per carry. Michael Carter was going to be running back three. He's gone on the Cardinals. So we give Izzy Abanaconda a couple more opportunities. That guy's an unknown still. 22 rushes for 70 yards. Just like Dalvin Cook, 3.2 yards per carry. And you can look at that and say, you know, he didn't have a ton of opportunities. Or just like Dalvin. Or the offensive line was so freaking bad. Maybe if they were better, he'd play a little bit better. But Brees is the type of guy that can get 4.5 yards per carry against that line. Or behind that line when everybody knows that he's going to be getting the football. I'd say at this point, Israel Abanaconda is an unknown. I think he'll be on the roster because he's on that rookie deal and he's got some upside. But I don't know if he's going to be just handed the number two running back spot that he had the opportunity to carry this year. I think he's going to be looking at running back three, maybe even four, depending on what happens in the offseason. So, Brees Hall, guaranteed bona fide superstar. What happens outside of that remains to be seen. And then we did have a fullback on the roster, Nick Bauden. So much drama around a guy, Nick Bauden, who had two carries for four yards. He blocked a little bit. He played here and there. But for crying out loud, the amount of times that he was talked about in his roster spot being so freaking important, give me a break. We'll see what the Jets do at the fullback position moving forward. If they carry one or if they move on. Offensive line. We talked about it so much this year. They went through over 13 offensive line combinations. We gave up 64 sacks. It was a nightmare defending the quarterbacks who didn't know how to move in the pocket or read defenses. So across the board, that passing game, bad. But the team ran for 1,600 yards, seven touchdowns on 4.2 yards per carry. Decent to see that. It wasn't an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, it was, but, like, you know, we scored more points than the Patriots. It could have been horrible. We could have scored absolutely nothing considering what we were getting in our passing game. But we were able to move the rock a little bit. Brees Hall was able to rush for 990 rushing yards and a couple touchdowns. So, you know, we have a lot to, a lot of work to do on that offensive line. Specifically because this team's not going to get good until the passing game gets better. And if there was one true weakness of this Jets offensive line, it was protecting the quarterback. So when you look through that line, Mekhi Becton, you know, he's not under contract for next year. We're really proud of him for playing healthy in uh, 16 games this year. That's a huge thing for him. Massive accomplishment. 
but he was tied for the most sacks allowed in the league with 12. You think that's bad? Mekhi Becton also was tied for the most penalties in the league with 18, so yeah, it was fantastic that he was able to play 16 games. I didn't think that was ever possible, that he could play 16 games in a season, so for that, I am very proud of him. His play, however, struggled mightily this season. It ended up being a little bit better with that Patriots game at the end of the season. We'll see what we do moving forward. Tackles are very, very hard to find. It's a very difficult position. There are not very many in the league. And not only do you need one, but you need depth, as we saw this year. Guys behind Mekhi Becton, Dwayne Brown provided nothing. He will not be on the team moving forward. Shouldn't have been on the team this year. Elijah Vera Tucker played in five games this year. That's a guy that plays guard and tackle on either side. Such an important piece of this offensive line. A guy that, like, can get you through so many jams. He played in five games, and then we were screwed. Connor McGovern, starting center for this season, played in seven games, then he was out. Tittman came in as a rookie, which he played pretty well, but he started at guard, moved to center. I like what we see from Tittman. I think he's going to be a good piece moving forward. I personally prefer him at right guard, but if the Jets want to play him at center, he's fine there too. Either way, he looks like he's going to be a long-term piece of the offensive line at right guard or at center, and I'm fine with it. As long as we have a piece that we can plug in somewhere on the offensive line and feel good about it, that feels like a nice change of pace right now. The only guy that was available all season long on the offensive line was Lakin Tomlinson, who has not had a great Jets career. We paid a little bit more for him than we've gotten back from him. But at least he played every game. I think he was a little bit better this year than last year. Didn't make as many stupid mistakes. Didn't seem to be as lost out there. But he's not a dominant force in the pass game or the run game. So, you know, it's just the Jets offensive line. You look at the other guys that played this year, lots of guys. Right tackle, left tackle. We had combinations of Max Mitchell, Billy Turner, and Carter Warren. When you look at it, Max Mitchell, he seems to be an okay swing tackle, but you really don't want him playing at all. Billy Turner appears to not be able to play offensive line in the NFL anymore. And Carter Warren, it's his first year, and I would say that he's about as good as Max Mitchell already. He played a little bit on both sides. Typically a right tackle for the Jets for the end of the year. He wasn't good, don't get me wrong, but he didn't have a ton of penalties. He didn't give up a ton of egregious sacks. It's possible that he can be a competent backup tackle moving forward, but he's not going to be a starting tackle for the Jets, ideally. Guard, also a revolving door. Jacob Hansen, Xavier Newman, Chris Glazer, all getting cracks. Talking about next year, you know, again, we didn't find a starter in that group. I think my favorite of the three was probably Hansen, followed by Newman, followed by Glazer. Maybe keep one of those three guys, ideally Hanson or Newman, and have them be practice squad or like very, very end of the roster type of guys. But we need to address this group very, very bad. That's going to be part of the free agency primer. I'm sure it's going to be part of the draft primer. It's going to be something we talk about a lot moving forward as we need to get Aaron Rodgers upright and healthy. He's going to be slower than ever. He's going to be coming on off of, off of an injury with maybe a little bit of lost confidence in himself and in his legs. So anything we can do to help him in an NFL landscape that is very, very difficult to find quality tackles and offensive linemen right now because everybody really wants the same thing. The Jets have minimal cap space. They don't have a second-round pick because of the trade for Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what they do. It'll be a big-time point of emphasis in this offseason. I can guarantee you that. So that's closing up the offensive side of the ball for the Jets 2023 season. 
Before we go to the defensive side of the ball, I do want to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today, I tried something special that was recommended to me by my local package store dealer. It is a New England IPA, 16 ounce, 6.3% ABV, so right in my wheelhouse of deliciousness. It is called Tricera Hops. And it is made from Medusa, Gemini, and Cashmere hops. And I think that's interesting because when you taste this beer, it's made by, what is it, Revere Brewing Company, part of Newtown, Connecticut. That's actually my rival from, I went to what is called Pomperog High School, a combination of Middlebury, Southbury, Connecticut, and our rival would be Newtown. And this is made there. So I did not know that when I bought it. It's good news, actually, because I don't really like it. Um... It's made from those weird hops, Cashmere, Medusa, and Gemini. And I don't know those hop brands. I'm, you know, usually drinking, like, Mosaic and Citra and some of the more common ones, Galaxy. These three are new. They tried to get cute with it, trying some different flavors. It tastes kind of weird. Not a New England IPA to me. It's way more, like, oatmeal-y and, like, a sugary, sweet, oatmeal-y darkness, which is not typically what I like in an IPA. The first one I drank, I was like, oh, this thing is horrible. I don't know why it was recommended to me. The second one I had, I was like, you know what? It's not as bad as I thought. I kind of like it. This third one, it's interesting because I'm currently part of uh, Damp January with wife Shannon, which is basically like I've been drinking a lot for the last, I don't know, 15 years. No, honestly, for like three months or two months or something. been drinking a lot since the holidays and a little bit before that, and we try to do, I guess some people call it dry January, but there's no way that I'm not going to drink for the Super Bowl and NFL playoffs and divisional rounds and stuff. So basically we have it where we don't drink unless we are watching sports, big-time sports games. So this is the first beer I've had since the New England game and only the second time I've drank in the new year. So for that reason, it's a little bit more exciting. But Revere Brewing Company making this Tricera Hops, trying some new hop flavors. If you want to try something new and you don't like typical IPAs, you could try this one. It's got a little bit of a different flavor, but it's missing the mark for a New England IPA, in my opinion. That is Tricera Hops by Revere Brewing Company, and that is this week's What's on Tap. Now, before we go over to the defensive side of the ball and special teams, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live. We are doing a season wrap-up here, talking about the players that had good individual performances, maybe bad individual performances in the 2023 season. And now we're on the defensive side of the ball, and this was by far the stronger of the two units and the much more healthy of the two units. We finished the season with a top three pass defense, which is no surprise when you talk about what the Jets gave up. In terms of passing yards, talked about 3,100 total passing yards, 19 total passing touchdowns against the defense. That's like one a game. Fantastic from that pass defense. Built from a pass rush, good linebackers in the middle that can cover decently well, and fantastic cornerbacks. Pretty darn good safeties that don't give up deep balls. Makes it very, very hard for opposing offenses to do stuff against us. The run defense struggled a lot more. As we go upfield and kind of sell out for the pass and try to shut down those quarterbacks, the running backs are able to find a little bit more success, so run defense nowhere near as good. But we had a couple touchdowns on defense, a couple safeties forced, a lot of safeties forced actually for a defense. Pretty good season overall. This whole defense starts in the defensive line. It's about getting pressure with four 
cornerbacks covering, creating chaos, not giving up big plays, right? Attacking the kill zone. It's really important for the middle of the defensive line, guys like Quinn and Williams, given a massive contract for a reason, to plug everything up and create pressure from the middle because pressure from the middle is the hardest to move away from kind of in the NFL. If it comes from the outside, you can move up. But if it comes from in the middle, you can't move up. You have to flush outside where the tack defensive ends and everything are. It becomes a whole big nightmare. The Jets got 18 and a half sacks from true defensive tackles this year. That's a crazy amount of pressure up the middle. That's six from Quentin Jefferson, five and a half from Quentin Williams, five from Big Sally Thomas, one from Big Al Woods, and one from Jalen Holmes. 18 and a half sacks up the middle. Stuff like that does wonders to help your defensive backs. But your defensive backs covering the way that they do does wonders to help your defensive line in getting sacks. It's a mutual relationship. Both can't survive without the other one. That's why you invest heavily in cornerback. You invest heavily in defensive line. The edge rushers, also very, very impressive. The Jets finished this season with 48 sacks. We talk about the original number of sack goals for a team would be 40 in a 16-game season. It's since become at a very ugly 43 in a 17-game season. The Jets finished with 48, so that is a very, very good sack number for the team. The leader of the team, Bryce Huff, had 10 sacks, double digits. He even got better at run defense this year. Tons of quarterback hits, 21 of them. He had a very, very good season, one of the best defensive players on this unit. Will be a free agent next year. We'll see how the Jets address that. But a really good season from Huff, who has gotten better and better Every single year. Jermaine Johnson, second in the team with sacks. Seven and a half there. Got another sack against the Patriots to finish at seven and a half. He's honestly better than Bryce Huff. Bryce Huff is a very, very good pass rusher and gets to the quarterback very, very quickly. But Jermaine Johnson is a true every-down player, a huge piece of this defense. He has tons of pass deflections, way more than Huff. An interception, blocked kick, run stuffs, tackles for loss. And he's only missing two and a half sacks that Huff had. Huff does it a lot prettier, a lot sexier. And maybe you're like, well, Jermaine gets more opportunities and is on the field more. That's just because Jermaine is a more all-around player. Love what we saw from Jermaine. Fantastic season from him. He's going to be here for at least a couple more years and hopefully more after that. He truly came into his own this year. Rookie season was pretty good. This season, fantastic. John Franklin Myers, a very quiet year this year. Three and a half sacks playing all 17 games. Obviously, with Bryce Huff playing a little bit better in run defense with Will McDonald coming in, Michael Clemens still being in the mix, JFM had maybe less opportunities than usual. Three and a half sacks, though, I mean, he's one of those guys that had a really nice career with the Jets, earned a big contract from us, but then he's kind of starting to taper off now. Still a good player, still a, you know can play defensive tackle, can stop the run, can set the edge, all that stuff, but I think his best days are behind him. And uh, I'm very thankful for everything we've gotten from JFM over the years. He'll probably still be here for one more year, but then, you know, we'll see how the Jets move on. And then Will McDonald, who actually finished with three sacks, which is kind of impressive. A forced fumble and a fumble recovery on top of that as well. Will McDonald was one of those guys that was like, man, at 16, the Jets are going to take a defensive lineman. It's the last thing we need, yada, yada. Also, you look at him and you're like, he's not even playing that much. He's not doing that much, getting three sacks. He was a rookie this year. Jermaine Johnson's rookie year, he had two and a half sacks. Very, very similar numbers to Jermaine Johnson's rookie year, who is, Jermaine Johnson is now one of the better players in this defense. Now, Jermaine is better against the run than Will McDonald probably will ever be. But you're talking about more sacks in that rookie year than Jermaine, 
who wasn't even horrible his rookie year. You want to compare him to, say, Bryce Huff? Bryce Huff played for the Jets. His first year, he got two sacks. His second year, he got two sacks. His third year, he got three and a half sacks. His fourth year was this year, 10 sacks. So two years, he had two total sacks. Through 23 games, he'd had four sacks. Will McDonald's numbers are well ahead of what Bryce Huff had done in his tenure with the Jets, playing more snaps, playing more games, and all that stuff. So to be down on Will McDonald at this point in time is ludicrous to me. It takes time for these guys to establish their move sets, to get comfortable, to get playing time, to learn how to cover the run and do other things, right, and matchups against specific people, all that stuff. It takes time to develop as an edge rusher. Bryce Huff was not good right away. He didn't have more than three and a half sacks until this year. Jermaine Johnson had two and a half his first year. Both of those players became electric this year. Will McDonald has the traits and the ability to be a fantastic pass rusher for the Jets. Give him some time. You can't leave this season not excited about what you saw from him, in my opinion. I know it's only three sacks, but he was getting back there. He was moving quick. He was putting some good moves out. And guys in their rookie year against offensive tackles in the NFL, they don't do a lot of that. So great job from Will McDonald. True pass rush specialist upcoming, I can tell. Michael Clemens, the guy, he had half a sack, a couple penalties, a couple middle fingers. Not a really good year for Michael Clemens, who's trending down for sure. Carl Lawson finished with five combined tackles and no quarterback hits. It was a horrible year for Carl Lawson, who we all loved the player, loved his story, loved him coming back, the injury and all that stuff, and then he just became useless, and he was, like, not even part of the team. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't on social media. He wasn't talking to the media. He was just non-factor, making millions of dollars, over $10 million from the Jets, doing nothing. It's weird. I don't understand it. I guess he just never came back from the injury, was never the same player. But the amount of usage that he had this year, it's shocking. Five combined tackles for the guy. So you talk about 48 sacks being a massive number for the Jets. Really, really good to hit that in a 17-game season. This is the big thing for me. 23.5 sacks from edge rushers, 18.5 sacks from defensive tackles. That means only three sacks came from blitzers. Only three sacks this season came from extra guys. They were sending four and got 45 sacks. That's insane. The efficiency there to be able to keep your nickels back, to be able to keep your linebackers in coverage and watching the run, and allow your cornerbacks to do what they do. I mean, holy moly. This is exactly how the defense is supposed to work. We saw it. We watched it. The team stayed very, very healthy on the defensive side of the ball this year, which helped out immensely. But fantastic. Starts the defensive front. Very happy with what we saw there. Linebackers, stoked about that too. Quincy Williams should have been a pro bowler. Maybe he should be an all-pro. He was great this year. 139 total tackles, 15 tackles for loss, 10 pass deflections, 2 sacks, 2 forced fumbles, and an interception. That is a crazy smorgasbord of success. He was all over the field, hyping people up, hitting hard, smashing guys, playing with passion, available every single week. Man, I love Quincy Williams. He is an absolute steal for this defense and a, a damn tone setter. He is becoming arguably the best linebacker on the team ahead of C.J. Mosley, which is crazy to think of if he said this a year or two ago. C.J. Mosley had a really good year in his own right. Led the team with 152 tackles. Great captain, holding the middle of the defense down. 
Were they as good in the run defense as we needed them to be this year? No, probably not. But were they better in pass defense than we expected? Yeah, I think so. Aside from a few games that you can point to for these linebackers, they played really well in pass defense. And they were available every single week. And they were really setting the tone in the middle of that defense attack in the kill zone. Loved what we saw from them. Jamie and Sherwood played a little bit, specifically against teams that we knew were trying to run against our defense. Michael Carter, too, would come out a little bit. Jamie and Sherwood would come in. He played all right. He's not probably a linebacker of the future for the Jets, at least starting, but maybe he can do the role that he's doing now for a few more years. Sam Egwavoen, Chaz Surratt, they barely played. That's our linebackers. Cornerbacks, so freaking good. Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, MC2. What can you say about that group other than, holy smokes, they're good. Sauce Gardner's a pro bowler. Shout out to Quinnen as well, who's a pro bowler. But Sauce is probably going to win all pro again two times in his first two years in the entire league. It's the third best pass defense for a reason. Partially because of that defensive line up front, getting pressure with four. But because those cornerbacks are so good, Sauce is the best of the group. He was hardly targeted this year. Everybody from other teams seems to hate Sauce Gardner, call him Grabner, always holding. Oh, he's always holding. Not that many penalties this year. DJ Reed gave up a couple big plays here and there, but really, really good in lockdown as always. Michael Carter basically playing a like a cornerbacker role where he's able to tackle really well in the run game when he has to, but also really good at getting past deflections, staying in phase with receivers in the slot, which can be very, very hard to do. Love Michael Carter too. The only thing about this group, one interception between all three. It was DJ Reed. But Sauce had none, Carter had none, and Reed had one. So that number right there, you'd love to get some turnovers. But 29 pass deflections for them. So still really, really good at getting their hands on the ball. We had a little bit of play, including a pick six from Eccles. We had a little bit of surprisingly decent play from Bryce Hall this year. Then we had like Tay Hayes and Craig James playing some spot duty when we didn't have cornerbacks for a small portion of the season. I think it was just one game. But overall, great, great cornerback play. At safety, you got to be happy overall. It was a confusing set to begin with because we had Chuck Clark. We didn't know exactly how he'd fit into the defense, but would probably play a bit of safety. He went down. We pick up Adrian Amos. We ended up getting rid of him. So it was a lot of Tony Adams who was really trending up by the season end. I think that Tony Adams looks like he's going to be the safety of the future for the Jets. He finished with a strong season, closed out a couple games with game-sealing interceptions, and was getting more involved in the run defense. Doing a really good job of like corralling running backs who are running outside. And instead of going up and missing a tackle or going up to the left side and pushing him to the right, he would kind of stay back in the right situation using the blockers and the guys in front to force the running back to go to a location where a linebacker like Quincy Williams would finish the play. So corralling the guys and then making some tackles, TFLs and stuff as well. I'm proud of Tony Adams, and I think that, well, he's not you know a top five safety in the league, I think that he does deserve to be a starting safety in the league. Opposite of him, Jordan Whitehead overall has been kind of a bummer. He had four interceptions for the team, which is the most on the Jets this year. Three of them came week one against the Bills, so he won that game for us. A massive game, fantastic to win it. That week with the emotions and everything of Aaron Rodgers, we kind of had to win that one. So props to Xavier Gibson and Jordan Whitehead for winning that game. But Jordan Whitehead away from that, he's been kind of underwhelming. When we got him coming off a Super Bowl for the Bucks at age like 24, 
thought that we were going to be getting an up-and-comer player in this defense. He's been a little bit shy to tackle sometimes. They're pretty good overall, like when you talk about big plays against them. So you can't knock them for that. The Jets' big thing is like no massive plays. Make them do a lot of different plays to get down the field, hoping they mess up at some point. But you just want them to be a little bit more aggressive at tackling and a little bit better at tackling for a strong safety. He didn't do that. We'll see if he gets an opportunity to come back or if the Jets move on at the strong safety position. And then they got Ashton Davis. We talked about him on last podcast after beating the Patriots. Ashton Davis finishes the season with the most turnovers on the team, right? Three fumbles, three interceptions. He's all over the place making plays. He's getting like fourth down conversions on special teams, and he hardly plays. Now, this is a guy that in the past when he'd started or played for the Jets on defense, he was so bad at taking angles and stuff, he would miss tackles, do ridiculous things. He seemed like he was the guy that the opposing running back would be tackled, and he'd always be like, wherever a player was tackled on the field, he'd always be like running in at the last second, like almost there to make the play, but never making the play. Whenever he had an opportunity in open field, he would make a bad mistake, take a bad angle, miss a tackle. But all of a sudden this year, it seems like he's one of the most dynamic playmakers that we have on the entire roster. He's going in to be a free agent, so we'll see how the Jets navigate the safety position. Jordan Whitehead's going to be gone. Ashton Davis is going to be gone. Chuck Clark is going to be gone. We don't have Amos. So it's going to be Tony Adams, and then we had, you know, Trey Dean and Jarek Bernard Converse, but we never saw them this year. It's going to be interesting to see how they navigate it, but Ashton Davis definitely did a lot for his stock, and I think a lot of fans that were at one point thinking, what the hell is Ashton Davis doing on this team? I think they're now thinking to themselves like, man, we might have to keep this guy because he makes plays. Props to him for getting it done. That's safety, and that's our defensive side of the ball. A fantastic freaking unit. Awesome to see what Jeff Ulbrich and that squad was able to put together this year. You move move over to special teams. You start with kicker. Love Greg the leg. He had such a good season. He kicked 92.1%, 35 of 38 field goals, and that 35 is the most ever in Jets history. So really cool to see him thrive like that all season long. With such a high, I mean, I always look for like over 80%. And last season, Greg the leg was 81%. And so it's like, listen, is he the best kicker that we've had? No, but he's doing well enough. And considering the Fickens and the Castillos and Bertolettes and whatever, we should take him and keep him because at least he kicked 81. Comes back this year, kicks better than ever. I hope we get him back. Punter was also fantastic. Thomas Morstead had 99 punts, which is a ton of punts, but 36 of those were inside the 20. Only eight of them were touchbacks. He had no punts blocked this year. His net punt was 41.7 yards per. He set up a ton of safeties, a ton of tough spots for opposing defenses or offenses. There are so many times this year where I can remember him running down the field fired up because he just pinned the ball like literally inside the three-yard line, which is extremely hard to do. And if you're aiming for the three-yard line, which Thomas Morstead hit time and time again, forcing those safeties, a lot of times you're getting a lot of balls that roll into the end zone for touchbacks. When you only have eight, and you can see that he's got the aggressive nature to even go for those close ones. Some guys just like opt for, I'm going to try to get uh, every ball to land at the 14-yard line. Thomas Morstead's not like that. He'll go for gold, and he'll do it. And he had a great season. I hope we get him back as well. Awesome, awesome special teams. Greg and Tom, you'll love to see it. The only side that would be, I guess, a disappointment 
be a disappointment for the Jets would be the return game because it was all rookies. It was Xavier Gibson who had 33 punt returns. He had the big touchdown against the Bills week one, which got you fired up like, ooh, maybe we found something here. Aside from that, no other touchdowns. He did have a 9.7 yard per return average, which is very high. You love to see that number. That's like, ooh, he's doing really well. That would be one of the best punt returners in the league at 9.7. But he fumbled the ball five times. Rookies make rookie mistakes. Gibson made rookie mistakes. Five fumbles. At one point on kick return, they're like, maybe we should give somebody else a chance because he's fumbling and he's not been perfect. Q Izzy Abanaconda, another rookie who had two returns this year. One of them was fumbled. Not good there either. So we had some bright spots on the return game. Some overall bright play from Xavier Gibson, but definitely a handful of mistakes. And if we can get those out, as second-year players often do, it'll be a much better unit. So that's our special teams. I love the special teams. The last order of business for this podcast, really, is just doing season awards because I always do offensive player of the game, defensive player of the game, special teams player of the game. Question is, when the season's over, who was the offensive player of the year and defense and special teams players of the year. And I even decided to throw in a coach of the year because I think that, you know, when you talk about the phases and everything, which group performed the best, I guess. And we're going to start with the Jets coach of the year. And I'm going to give that to Brant Boyer. And I know that's crazy because Jeff Albrecht could definitely be a candidate for the coach of the year for the Jets. But I think because he shares a lot of the responsibilities and mindset of Robert Sala, Kind of a two-man job there. Ulbrich does a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's Salah's defense. Brant Boyer's all alone. That's his special teams. And that unit doesn't get enough credit for how good it is. Greg is over 35 years old, kicking the best he's ever kicked in his life. Thomas Moore said, same thing, old. Kicking the best he's ever kicked in his life. We're finding these guys, we're turning it out, putting in two rookies who... You know, mostly one rookie, Xavier Gibson, who, yes, he struggled with fumbles and everything, but he was a guy that had good returns, won games on special teams. We scored a lot of points on special teams. Thank goodness we did. We relied on it a lot. We didn't score a lot of touchdowns. We forced Greg to kick. He made them. We punted a lot. We forced Thomas to pin him back deep. He did that. We had really good punt coverage, and Brant Boyer doesn't get enough credit. So I think in, you know, a partial sense, it's just really shedding light on how good Brant Boyer is and how lucky we are to have him coaching this defense with the players that we have. Great year for Brant Boyer, Jets coach of the year. And we've got our offensive player of the year. And I think that when you look at everything that the Jets did on offense, you know, this team struggled a ton to score points, to move the football, to pick up first downs, to pick up third downs, any of it. They struggled. But there was one guy who showed up week after week, even though, the cards are stacked against him, and it seems like, how can this guy even succeed on this team? And that's Garrett Wilson. Because every week you're throwing out a Tim Boyle or a Simeon or a Zach Wilson, and this team is throwing for no yardage, and the guys are confused and running out of the pocket and getting sacked. But somehow Garrett Wilson, with that group of some of the worst quarterback play you've ever seen, some of the worst offensive line play you've ever seen, becomes just the first Jets receiver to ever have a 1,000 receiving yards in their first two seasons. That's absolutely incredible. Almost the second receiver ever to have 100 receptions in a season. How was he able to find productivity of 50, 60, 70 yards week in, week out? He got a lot of targets, absolutely, but he made a lot of phenomenal catches in a game where 
nobody else on the team was getting open. If you're playing the Jets, at what point did you really have to guard Alan Lazard or Jason Brownlee or Randall Cobb or CJ Uzoma? We're literally rolling tons of guys onto the field that have no chance of catching the football. And then you got Garrett Wilson, who you know is going to get fed the rock. And he found opportunities and ways. He's the offensive player of the year. I don't know how he did it. When we finally have a good passing game and a good offensive line and the offense is rolling and we're scoring points, holy smokes, he's probably going to put up 1,500 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns. It's probably going to happen overnight when we have a good passing offense. He's the offensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year, a lot of guys you could give this to. Quinnen's sack numbers were down, but he's dominant. Bryce Huff, double-digit sacks, getting after the quarterback. I loved what I saw there. Sauce Gardner, some of the best coverage skills you've seen. But he's missing those INT numbers. I'm going to give it to none other than Quincy Williams, who was all over the place this year. We talked about the numbers that he had. Second on the Jets in total tackles. The guy finished the season with 139 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, 10 pass deflections, 2 sacks, 2 forced fumbles, an interception. And he was absolutely a tone setter and a game record for the Jets week in, week out. He does this really cool Mario Bros punch with his brother. He just really was one of those guys that every single week you say, wow, there's Quincy Williams, wow. And when you talk about a guy that should be a pro bowler or an all-pro, there's probably nobody that you're more passionate about than Quincy Williams for the Jets. As good as DJ Reed is, Michael Carter, CJ Mosley, all these players, right? We got tons of good players. Bryce Huff. You're not sitting there like, man, this guy has to be in the Pro Bowl. Quincy Williams is that guy. An absolute snub that should have been in there. And the defensive player of the year for the Jets had the best season of his career. The arrow is pointing up for him. I love it. I love that we have a guy that can hit that hard, be that fiery, be that cool, do as many things as he can. But those pass deflections, like just crazy numbers. He is a true gem on this Jets defense and a, a real testament to what Jeff Ulbrich and Robert Sala are able to do because when he came to the Jets, he was a totally raw athletic player from the Jaguars who had really done nothing. And when he came to the Jets, it was like, oh, this guy's kind of a mess, but he's a good player. And he has refined his skills and become one of the best linebackers in all of football. Great coaching, great learning, great execution. Quincy Williams, Defensive Player of the Year. And then Special Teams Player of the Year. You got some good options here. Greg, Morstead, which one do you go with? I had to go with Greg. Because kicking 35 field goals on 38 attempts, 55 long, kicking extra points well too, and being the guy that week in, week out, the Jets could get the ball to like the 30-yard line, it felt like, but then could never do anything in the red zone and certainly couldn't score any touchdowns. And there was like that feeling of like, oh my gosh, this defense is playing well enough. If we could score 10 points, 12 points, we might be able to win this thing. And you needed those field goals when the offense couldn't punch it into the end zone, and Greg gave those. And when you were getting to like the 40-yard line, 35-yard line, that feeling of just like, oh, great, now we get guaranteed points because we made it this far down the field was a really nice thing. A legendary Jets kicking season for Greg the Legs Erline. He is our special teams player of the year. And that's it. That wraps up the Jets 2023 season. That wraps up our season recap. And I got nothing else to do except for wait for free agency, watch some playoffs, hang out, relax, you know, UConn basketball, Knicks, Rangers. I'll be watching sports, but... 
Got to take a Jets break. It makes me incredibly sad. I'll be all over Twitter probably more than ever because I have to find content and stuff, but the year flies, comes in, comes out. You sit there every single year wondering what if. What if we had Aaron Rodgers? What if AVT didn't get injured? What if our offensive line, yada, yada. Every year it's the same thing. The Jets were able to beat the Patriots. They were able to beat the Eagles for their first loss. Some other really good teams this year play some good inspired football from time to time. They also dropped the ball. Raiders, Chargers, I mean, some really bad weeks where it's just like, oh, my God, come on. The Jets could have made the playoffs and they won a couple of those games. I mean, it was a, a struggle for sure. Maybe if we didn't play Tim Boyle at all and went straight to Simeon. Maybe if Simeon had played instead of Zach Wilson. Who knows what? I mean, what if? But we end 7-10. and 10, We get Bill Belichick fired. Had a really freaking good defense. A fantastic young running back. A fantastic young wide receiver. And a pretty cool tight end. A lot of other players that are up and coming. Getting their opportunities. And showing that they deserve chances on the field. There's a lot of good football to come for the Jets, but we have a lot of stuff to do. The offseason is a long period of time. Training camp is long, preseason, all that stuff. Hopefully we can get through all that healthy and with a good, as good a roster as possible. So we're going to cover all that stuff. The upcoming schedule for the show, we're going to the offseason now, so it's going to be, as I said, a free agency preview prior to the legal tampering period, March 11th. Then we'll do a review of that free agency period. We'll do a draft preview prior to April 25th, then a draft review, a schedule breakdown, training camp preview, then talk preseason games. If you're looking for uh, anything else, you want to engage, you want to talk, I'll be available always on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. If you listened this year, if you enjoyed what you heard, or even if you just feel like being cool, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It does a lot. Getting those ratings up gives people a little bit of juice and boost listening to it for next year. That's part of my incentive to keep doing this thing and make me realize that I'm not just talking at the wall about a New York Jets team that, again, under-delivered for the, what, sixth year of me doing this show? But either way, I love this team. I love all the listeners. I love the fans of the Jets. It's a great community and thing to be a part of, and I don't know what I would do without it. So thank you to everybody. That's all we got for 2023. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 